Hey, my name's Brad. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at River City. Um, before we jump into our text today, continuing in Ephesians, um, I just want to remind you all slash uh, say goodbye for four weeks. So I'm about to set out on um, set out. Sounds like way more like I'm going to do something really incredible. I'm just not going to be around for four and a half weeks. Um, so I'm taking a mini sabbatical. I'm not going on some sort of like walkabout in Australia or anything like that. I'm just going to be around uh, Grand Rapids still. Uh, we've got a lot of busy stuff with my wife's grad school stuff that's going on this summer. So we're not doing crazy travel or anything like that, but, but trying to take uh, an extended period uh, for rest for uh, rejuvenation um, and really just to try and spend uh, time stepping out of, I love this phrase from uh, a counselor that I work with, stepping out of the good and the bad. And so this morning I feel like really aware of like stepping out of the good for the next four weeks. It's not that long, but like um, I really enjoy time with all of you. And so I hope you know that like uh, when I think about uh, the gift of this time, it's not like, oh, I'm so thankful that I can get away from these people for like four and a half weeks. That's almost completely opposite. We really uh, kind of warred with like, okay, can we take this time? Can we like still come to River City on Sunday? Like, can we still do stuff like that? And and just realize that like, it's very hard for me to like take off the hat of like my vocation here and still just be here in this space on a weekend and not just want to like fix and help and jump in. And what our family uh, really needs, what I really need is just a a short season uh, to just not think about the day in and day out of what it means for River City to function. But what I'm super thankful for in that is that like God has richly provided other leaders here, other pastors here to like fill in those gaps and take on some of my roles. And so um, as I set out in this time, before we do uh, this message today, like I just want to say right off the bat, like thanks so much for this time. Thanks for caring for me. Thanks for like uh, being in this for the long haul. I've been in ministry now for around 12, 13 years. Um, And so this is probably like the longest uh, intentional time that I've like taken off from like, uh, other than like between different roles and moves and stuff like that. And so I'm just really thankful for it. Um, what am I going to be doing? Um, I'm reading a biography of George Washington. I'm three chapters in. I hope to make it six of the 22 uh, before I check out of that. But it's, so far, it's really interesting, right? Um, it's just like new biography guy. Um, I, I, I got a good deal on Amazon on a, a pizza oven, and I'm going to be perfecting my Neapolitan pizza techniques. Uh, long-term goal, buy four more, and then just every week after service, pizza. Uh, that's just something I'm kicking around right now. Emily said, like, no one wants to come and just eat bread. And I was like, disagree. Um, I would come and just eat bread. bread. As long as it's good bread, not like wonder bread, but just bread. That could be fun. That could be a deal. We could do that for city group. That could be a theme. All bread. It's like Panera. Like here's your sandwich. Here's a little baguette to eat with it. Makes no sense. Anyway, lastly, this fits with it. I'm taking an improv class. So maybe you'll get to hear more little bread bits like that in the future. Uh, so that starts this afternoon. I am really scared. I'm not used to not being in control um, of like an environment like that, but I'm hoping it's really fun. So trying to do just some stuff that's different, step out of my box. Uh, Also just really excited to spend time with my kids um, and just have some extra time with them and do fun stuff. Um, So thank you for your prayers uh, and kind of dovetailing into that now as we jump into the text. Like uh, there really is this element here of Paul in this section, he's going to pray now for the Ephesians. And it really has, even though it's right smack dab in the middle of the book, it has this kind of send off feel to it, right? It has this like, hey, I am, I am sending you all to, out to do something or to be something. And here's the way that I'm going to pray for you on the way. And it always makes me think about like, we, we do this thing 
as a family, like before we head out on a trip, we're always as we're like pulling out of the driveway or, or setting out for whatever this journey might be. Even if it's just like a short camping trip, we, we just like pray for a moment before we go. It's just become kind of a tradition in our family uh, that God would like uh, protect us along the road and, and things like that, that he would preserve our time and often just give us good attitudes along the journey, especially it's like over 30 minutes. So like fighting's going to ensue, at least between Sarah and I, let alone the four munchkins that are with us. Uh, so, so we pray. Um, and, and I was thinking about that, like as Paul sends the Ephesians out and he's going to pray for them here in this section, just what a different thing it was to like set out on a journey in, in this time, right? Like when you think about preparing for a journey, it's like, do I, did I fill the car with gas? And like, do I have the right snacks, right? And the way we'll be getting snacks along the way to replenish. Like our journeys are not very treacherous. They don't require as much planning and preparation. We, we don't think much about like the uh, opportunity for harm or exhaustion on the trips that we take. But as Paul sends out the Ephesians and thinks about the walk that they are about to go on, as he sends them out with this prayer, he's trying to do this work of reminding these saved people, these people whose faith is in Jesus, that as they set out on this task of being gospel ambassadors, of embodying the family of God and the world around them, that God has in fact empowered them for it in a few distinct ways. So let me pray, and then we will jump into the text and work our way through this this morning. God, thank you for your word, and, and, and even just the, the amazingly timely nature of what we come to each and every week. Um, and so God, in this season where uh, even just for me personally, like it's going to look different for a few weeks, uh, God, would you allow these encouragements for each of us to kind of take hold and morph Lord into the kind of things that we need to hear for the plan that only you know for our future. Because God, there, there are a few things that we do know. Um, we know of your goodness. We know of the salvation that you have offered in Christ. And we know of this mandate, Lord, to share and invite others into the family of God. And so, God, as we seek to do that, I pray that these prayers would be an encouragement to us as we step into them today. And we pray, amen. All right, we are in chapter 3 of Ephesians. We'll be doing verse 14 through the end. Really just a short section, but a rich one. Uh, 14 says this, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he might grant you according to the riches of his glory. And we're just going to give it a dot, dot, dot there and stop for a moment, okay? So this is kind of Paul's preamble for, for a few requests that he is about to make to God on behalf of the Ephesians. But before we jump into those three things in Paul's prayer, let, let's just look at how he sets the scene for the prayer that he's about to make. He says, for this reason, um, in this, he's kind of backing up to the closing of the verses right before this. If you kind of look back to verses 12 and 13 from the previous chapter, this won't be on the screen, but I'll read it again. It says, in him, we have boldness and confidence access through faith in him. So then I ask you, don't be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are my glory. Paul, in the previous verses, has reminded the Ephesian people of the kind of access to both the power of God as well as the personal relationship in a family with the creator of the universe that they have been ushered into in Christ. He says, for this reason, because we can approach God and ask him for whatever we 
need as we proceed in the mission to which he's called us. He says, for this reason, I'm going to kneel and call upon the Father. And then he makes this statement, in whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is a reminder of this theme of the first half of the book, that in the church, there is a unity that exists because of the fact that we have been now named in God our Father. That while we maintain our our individual families, our backgrounds, our our social class, our, our location, our race, while all of these distinguishing factors remain about us, that ultimately the title that is placed upon us is being named as members of the family of God. He says, this is why when I kneel, I kneel before the Father who has given me definition and purpose and title. He has given me access to him through Jesus that I might be able to kneel in his name. And he reminds us here that the family of God is expansive beyond both heaven and earth. This is this form of trying to like all include everything between. Like if it's on earth and it's in heaven, he's saying that is everything. He's saying, I'm praying to you in the name of the father before the father, which I kneel and everything is included in his dominion. And that's why I'm coming to him about these things. He prays to the one in whom everyone is named. And then he prays this. He said, I pray that he might grant you. He says, the way that I hope he gives you these things, that he he gives you access to this stuff, this wealth of his riches, is that he would give you it according to the riches of his glory. Saying, I'm going to pray a few things for you in a moment, Paul tells the Ephesians. And he says, I am hoping that God would draw on the infinite access of the wealth with which he is able to give, that he might bless you with just a few of these things. Now, it, it, it struck me as I read this, that word, grant you, Right? Um, we're familiar with language around like gifts and, and blessings in the scripture. And this word can be translated in a few different ways, just, just to give or to dole out. Uh, but the way that it's used here because of, of the formation with the verbs around it seems like it's this word grant. And, and if you think about that word, it's really interesting because a, a grant is, is something that is given with express purpose in mind. So Paul's saying, like, I hope that God is going to give you some amazing things. I hope God is going to give you some valuable things that align with how rich he is. And how rich is he? He is infinitely wealthy. He is the one who possesses all, who can create anything for which there is no bounds. He says, according to how wealthy your father God is, I hope according to the measure of that wealth that he would grant you that he would give you access to a few things for a specific purpose. Paul is literally praying that God would assign to you rich blessings for the ministry, the life to which you've been called. Now, when you hear the word ministry, and even when I say that, like assign you according to the ministry, uh, I think for most of us, maybe that becomes a really narrow thing, right? You're like, okay, what's the ministry to which I've been called to? And so maybe like if we get too narrow, like Lauren's up here and she's singing, she's like, well, I've just been called to sing. That's, that's, the, that's the narrow scope of the ministry that I've been called to today. I don't think that's how Paul is using that word though. I think when he 
he's using the word ministry, he is trying to assign to us not, not a unique role that we might fill here on a weekend, uh, not, not a vocation that we might fill, but instead a, a, an idea or a rubric with which we are supposed to see our entire lives and purpose and existence as a ministry, as an offering, as a purpose-filled mission from God. That he would give you rich blessings for the ministry to which you have been called. And so I just thought, as a point of evaluation, even before we jump into this threefold prayer, I just wanted to pose this question to you. Like, what are you good at? Like, what are, you, what are you really talented with? Like, how has God given you just like innate abilities to do certain things? And you're like, yeah, this is and it's not a pride thing or anything like that. What are the things that you're just better at than most people? And as you process those things, those unique abilities and skills, I just ask you this, like, are you using those skills in your ministry? In the scope and the calling of your life and what God has called you to do? How has God blessed you? What has God given you? Like in terms of even, even material resources, in terms of things that you have access to or relationships that you're in. How has God blessed you? And is that blessing in your life of ministry flowing to others? Are you taking the rich blessings that God has granted you for the ministry to which you have been called and according to those riches that he has doled out to you from his mercy, are you using them for the calling which God has placed on your life? Another way to say that is, are, are you generous with what God has given you? We put that phrase in our vision statement. I think it served us really well as a marker of what we want to be, that we would be known for unnatural generosity, that that, that which we have would be that which we are excited to share and to give. We love to think about generosity in a threefold way in terms of our time, uh, a resource which is, is extremely finite. And, and so giving generously of our time, uh, we like to think about in terms of, of our resources, like our, our money um, and our things. Are we generous with our stuff? Are we generous with our money? And we like to think of it in terms of our emotional capacity. Um, are we willing to give pieces of ourselves in terms of taking on the burdens of others and existing with them in those burdens that we might offer relief, support, and love to them? Uh, and those are three boxes we all want to check, not just like, hmm, which one from the menu will I choose today? We'll be generous with our time, with our resources, and with our emotional capacity. All right, so Paul's threefold prayer, starting with the second half of verse 16, which says this. And he says, I, I'll back up. We'll start 16 as a whole. I pray that he might grant you according to the riches of his glory, 16b, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, width, height, and depth of God's love. And to know that Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul prays this threefold prayer for the Ephesian church. He prays it for you. Uh, and to be frank, like I pray this for you. That you would be strengthened with power through your inner being in the spirit. 
that you'll be strengthened in power in your inner being through his spirit. That's his first prayer. Uh, Paul here is not referencing, obviously, physical strength, but internal, internal, emotional, and spiritual fortitude offered through the Holy Spirit. Uh, the opposite of the word here used for strength is not weakness. Do you know what it is? It's discouragement. The, the opposite word for when he says, I, I hope that you be strengthened, is that you would instead be discouraged. Uh, Paul's first prayer for you is that you would be strengthened, that you would be encouraged, that you would be built up through a power in your inner being through the spirit. Uh, discouragement in the life of a believer is normal. It is normal. It's even more common in those that begin to see a portion of their lives or hopefully their whole lives as devoted to ministry, whether that's vocational or not. How does the Bible instruct us to be strengthened in the spirit? Well, if you want to flip there or I'll just read it for you, uh, look to your Bible to Psalm uh, 46, which reads like this. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with turmoil. There is a river. Its streams delight in the city of God, a holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the, nation, when the morning dawns. Nations rage. Kingdoms topple. The earth melts away when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows, cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop your fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Paul's prayer is that in our innermost being, we would found, find a foundation in the strength, stability, and sovereign rule of God. Uh, this is what Psalm 46 speaks to, is to a people discouraged, a people living in an era which is torn with war, a people living in a place and a time where morality has gone backwards, a people living in a place and time where chaos and murder and destruction is normal. And unfortunately, those words ring all too true today. All those things and all those feelings remain. And the psalmist and Paul point us to a strength which comes from an inner settledness on who God is and what he has promised to do. My prayer for you, church, is that you would find encouragement in the spirit for the work that you've been called to. And in that, that you would lean on your experience and the truth found in the word of God, that you would retell to others who God is, what he is doing and what he has done, that you might rest in his amazing power and strength, even when in the moment you were discouraged and it seems like it escapes you. 
Paul's first prayer for the Ephesians, that they would be strengthened in the power of their inner being through the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, His second is this. He says, I pray that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays that they would let Christ dwell, exist. Um, I love this word. Uh, Actually, when we were naming River City, like really kicked around uh, something around this word, abide, right? That, That you would live, that you would dwell, that you would camp out with, that Jesus would like be in some way uh, your roommate, like that he would be uh, never leaving, involved in your life, there in the very core of who you are. Says, I pray that the love of Christ, that Christ himself might dwell in your hearts, that he would exist within you. Um, we've come to like trash on this phrase in the, in the previous years of like asking Jesus into your heart. And I agree, like that phrase is maybe confusing, but it also maybe has some real biblical fortitude when we think about it in this sense that a part of meeting, of, of submitting to, of accepting Jesus as our, our savior, as entering into his kingdom mission is the abiding of Jesus in the very core of who we are. Our faith in Christ brings him to the center of our very being and then in effect our entire lives. And so one of Paul's high and lofty prayers is that as these people believe in the truth of the gospel, the son of God come to pay for sin, risen to give new life, returning again to bring his final kingdom, that as they believe in that gospel, that it would begin to take over their entire lives and the place from which it would do so is the center out. Now, we often have an opposite depiction of how the gospel takes hold, don't we? We often, instead of trying to apply the gospel from the center out, attempt to apply it from the outside in. And there's a few ills in this. I've been thinking about this this week. Is that when we try and apply the truth of the gospel from the outside in, what we do is this. We say, hey, I'd like you to modify your behavior, right? Uh, My goal then, uh, as a pastor here, as your friend, I hope, is just to get you to behave differently. Not really care how you feel or think about it, right? Uh, This is like, if you have children or around them, like this is the difficulty of parenting or child rearing to a T, is that, that it's really difficult to just modify the behavior of an individual. What you really are hoping for instead is the opposite, which the gospel tries to cut to as well, is to instead to modify the heart, That if I change your behavior and yet the core of what runs you, what operates you, never shifts or changes in any way, there's no chance that new behavior would stick and actually it'll just become a discouragement and a proof to you that the belief is hollow. Instead, the call here is that Christ would dwell in the very seat, or even some people might say in the throne of who we are. However you think about whatever the, like whatever you define as like your supreme faculty, right? For them, it was the heart. They thought of this as the core. Maybe for you, you think of the mind. Maybe you use the word like soul. However you would decide or describe the core essence of who you are, the driving force of your life, that is what Paul begs God, his father, that you would seat Jesus in that place. That from the inside out, from a faith built on seeing the work of God and trusting in it, that you would be shifted and changed. Our goal is a complete trust which ultimately leads to real peace and then devoted living. That from a place of faith, trust, and reliance, 
that we begin to see our entire life shaped. Now, this stands in, in pretty distinct contrast uh, to the compartmentalized Christianity that we've come to know and love in the good U.S. of A., okay? That we love, we love to put things in a colorful box on our Google schedule, right? I even love having separate calendars for different things so that when I'm in one compartment, I cannot even see the other compartments of my life, Right? Here's the thing, though. Your relationship with Jesus, your faith in God, is not supposed to be a Google calendar with a few events that you can just turn off when you don't want to see it, right? It's, it's one of those annoying all-day events that you're like, oh, I can't even focus because I see my wife does this. Uh, I love you. She'll just, like, schedule things and repeat them on the calendar, and I'll be like, internship. And so the whole calendar, every day of every hour for six months is just yellow, which is her color. And I'm like, I can't see that right now. Right? Like, cause that's telling me that I don't get to sleep because I am booked at 2 AM. Right? I don't like that. But that in essence is like what Paul is praying for you is that every hour of every day of your life is booked. Not to busy you, to stress you, to burden you, but to lead you, to point you, to encourage you. That Christ would dwell in the seat of your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. My, my prayer for you is this. The truth of what Christ has done in the gospel would begin to dwell in the core of who you are and would slowly take you over. Because it, I truly believe, is the source of the peace, joy, and rest that you are seeking. Uh, Paul's last prayer is this. That you may be able to comprehend with the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know that Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you might be filled with all of the fullness of God. I, I love this last line of his prayer. Uh, this time he references strength, ability, fortitude again, but he references it uh, in the context of the unity of the body of Christ. He's saying, I hope that you have the strength to be. I hope that you are able to just begin to start to comprehend how immeasurable is the nature of God's love to you and how amazing the family and unity of God that you find in these things is. This says, along with your brothers and sisters, along with the saints, because that's how Paul refers to you. I had this uh, professor in college who uh, would, would bumble into his, I'm not the only one in the room that had him, I'm realizing. So he would walk into the room and he'd always walk in with fairly low energy, walk to his book, like glasses on the tip of his nose. And he'd look up and he'd say, good afternoon, saints. And the first time he did it, you kind of laughed like that. And then you realize that he did it every single time. I'm like, oh, this is, this is how he thinks of me. He's trying to say to you, like, you, you are saints. You are people defined in a certain way. Paul's prayer is that you would start to comp comprehend with all the other saints around you, that you would start to comprehend, and then he uses this crazy language, the, the width and the length and the depth and the height of God's love, okay? 
So God's love is this three-dimensional object is how he describes it, which is, which is wonderful when you start to process it, right? Because maybe you, like me, you often think of the love of God as a pretty flat thing, right? Like it's a thing in this book. It's a fact to be learned, not an object to be possessed. He doesn't describe it as a conceptual thing. He describes it instead as a reality to hold and to see and to in some way measure is real, it is tangible, and it takes the work of all the saints to be able to comprehend how big it is. Now, now why is that? And this is something we really, we're gonna go hard here for a second, okay? I think Paul is saying this. You alone cannot measure the scope of the love of God. You alone cannot measure the scope of the love of God. That what Paul, I think, is saying here is that it takes a community experience of viewing the work, the love, the extent of God's grace to even start to be able to see it as tangible and the size that it is. Let me give you an example of why. I have experienced different things than you. You have experienced different things than me. I cannot understand aspects of the way that God has cared for you, pointed you, come alongside, beside you, unless you share it with me and I share it with you. And so that means that the activity of being a part of a, a local body, a local church, being a part of a family, that, that when we uh, abdicate our responsibility to be invested members of a local body, that we miss out not just on the community that we find here, not just on some stupid potluck, as fun as it is, not on the activities of this place and the friendships as beautiful as they are, but we miss out on actually seeing the scope of the love of God. And that's why, even though it served us really well in the period that we were in, like it was such a joy to turn off the live stream. And I'm thrilled that we can still like videotape and share the content because I do think like there, there's something to working through scripture together, but, but ultimately to remind ourselves that like the tangible gathering of the people of God, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week in each other's life, whether it's like a text thread or a discord message, we're actually coming together, that that thing can't be replicated in any other way than real relationships, the majority of which are face-to-face. The way in which God has ordained that we would start to see the scope of the love of God is in the community of God's family. He goes on to describe this more. He says, I want you to start to see the height or the length, the width, the height, the depths of God's love, and that you would know that Christ's love surpasses knowledge so that you could be filled with all the fullness of God. In this second half of Paul's third prayer here, um, he, he gives us a lifeline into the fact that we look at a world around us and we're like, everybody's lost their dang mind, okay? He says this, that you in community, together viewing the love, the extent of who God is and what he's done, seeing with all the saints how immeasurable is God's love, that then you would have an anchor so that you would understand that the love of Jesus surpasses knowledge. All the stuff you think you know. Paul's anti-science. No, that's not what he's saying, okay? 
Paul's not saying throw away what we've learned about the tangible world around us. I think Paul, most of the apostles would have rejoiced in learning more about God's creation, understanding the beauty with which God has built this world around us. In research and the concrete nature of some things, he's not saying throw off all things. He's not saying get like really, really metaphysical. And it's like, whoa, man, I don't know. I don't even see shapes anymore. I just close my eyes and find my way up. No, that's not this. Like put away your crystals, okay? What Paul instead is saying is this, is that there is a need to see beyond the concrete world we live because without an anchor in something other than this place, you'll lose perspective. Because things in this world will feel inexplicable. Because people, things around you will tell you that things that the Bible promises are true are foolishness. So it says, I hope for you that in the community of God's people that you would start to get to measure the scope of who God is and his love and a diversity of expression and experiences that paint for you a picture of who God is that goes beyond what you could simply know on your own. And that in this in this knowledge, or in this, in this fullness of Christ's love that surpasses knowledge found in the community of the church, that you would then be filled with the fullness of God. Peace, the love, and the hope. My prayer is that you would grow in faith, in community, that you might be able to see with your own eyes this love that surpasses the tangible that it would go from feeling intangible to feeling graspable. Verse 20, Paul closes the prayer with these two lines in 20 and 21. It says this, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is infinitely more powerful than we think, and he can do more than we would ever ask. We've read this awesome prayer that Paul prayed. Like Paul just prayed for three huge things. He prayed that they'd be strengthened in their inner being through Christ. He prayed that Christ would dwell in their hearts. He prayed that they would be able to comprehend with the church as a whole, the length and width and height and depth of God's love and that it would surpass knowledge and that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And I'm like, Paul prayed a good prayer. And then I realized the end of my prayers are terrible, right? I start good. I'm like, uh, praise God for who he is. Like I'm, th- I'm being thankful. I'm sharing my gratefulness. I'm like, hey God, here's some stuff that's going on that I need your help with. And I'm like, amen, I guess. Look at the end of Paul's prayer. Like he prays some deep, beautiful, rich things. And then he just like opens up the floodgates and, and steps before God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask. That's not my attitude when I pray very often, right? I'm like, now to him who hopefully does one or two of these things. If you wouldn't mind. If I didn't even ask for stupid stuff in the first place, right? Like Paul's vision of who God is here shows that the prayers he just prayed for the Ephesians have taken hold in who he is. But he seems to have this grasp of how big and powerful the love and control of God is. And so he says, look, I've asked God for basically nothing. 
To him to whom all of this is a flick of the wrist. According to the power that already works in us. Acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is already in them. That God is already doing a work in the midst. That they are witnessing. That they are recording. That they are tracking. That they are seeing. To him be the glory. It's about him. In both the church and in Christ, and in all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And then even Paul still prays after the amen. That's a new trick, okay? Amen. And then he just like explains, I feel it. God's infinitely more powerful than we think. And, and, and maybe that um, humble young theologian is the kind of like uh, thing that you need to start to say after you say something about who God is. You'd be like, God is loving. And then you would go, and he is so much more loving than I even think. That that everything, even for Paul, that you know about God, that that as you even start to think, like I could even say a thing about his power or his love or his mercy or his grace, that all of it, you would then stop and think, and I don't even know the half of it. I don't even conceive of how powerful it is. I'll end with this because it's in my mind. Like, I remember as a young kid, um, every once in a while we'd go out to my grandpa's house and like we'd, we'd do stuff for grandma and grandpa and help out. And they had like an old tractor. And I always remember um, I, I would, because this was the 80s and 90s and times were wild, I'd ride on the back of the tractor, right? Uh, and if you've ever ridden on the back of a tractor while your dad's driving it, this was not a nice tractor. This was not a safe tractor. It's this little spinning thing at the back of the tractor. And I, I distinctly remember being probably about between my two younger son's ages of like five and eight, and my dad going, don't touch that. It will rip your leg off in a way that wasn't funny. And I remember just being like, how is that possible? And as you grow up and you see like the way that farm equipments works, you realize that like, man, this thing is like hooked into the entire force of this entire motor, that it can turn a plow, that it can rip things out of the ground. All that power is just in this little thing that just like looks like a little spinning shaft. And that if your shoelace were to catch around that, it is bad news for you. I just want to have a snippet of an understanding of the power of God in that way with like a caution and a respect and a knowledge that like, man, I can't really understand this, but like, this is what my dad says is true. And he said it in a way that I know that it's real. That as you close your prayer, you close your prayer thinking God is infinitely more powerful than I think. And he can do more than I could even ever ask. And so we'll close now, um, even just in this moment, and, and we will pray. But, but that is my hope, that as we ask God to remind us and establish these same things in our hearts and our minds, that we would be reminded that they are small things to ask of our God. For one, he's already promised them. And for two, he has so much more power, and he can do so much more than we would ever ask of him. Pray with me now. God, I thank you for the body that you've brought together here and the way that that in these people and the relationships that I have here that that I have been able to see more of the expanse of your love. God, I thank you that, that, that for many of us, Lord, who have placed our faith in Jesus, you are establishing in our hearts through faith a reliance, a dependence, and a control that comes through Christ. 
God, God, I thank you that, that you offer strength, that you offer stability in a broken and confusing world, founded in the core of who we are, ensured and increased by the Holy Spirit who is God. And so, God, we, we ask you these things. And we are reminded that you are able to above, do above and beyond all we ask. And so we ask, Lord, according to your will and your power, would you, Lord, do works like this in us? And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is able to do this and so much more. And we pray that our hearts would be stirred and reminded of that truth.